You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Amen. Thank you, Brent. Um, Well, my name is Matt Younger, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff and have the privilege this morning of continuing through the Onward series. And so Shay has started us off for the last two weeks really talking about a vision of meaningful membership into the future for Northway Church. What does it look like to belong and to belong well here at Northway? And so what we're trying to to do is get as practical as we know how to with kind of six statements, uh, we statements uh, that point us in the right direction. And so Shay uh, kicked off two weeks ago and he talked about how we believe that we believe a faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints and then followed up with that last Sunday with that we gather and just talking about the significance of this room, this gathering. And so it's my task this morning to talk about how we belong. Uh, And so in one sense of belonging, uh, I mean very broadly, like a sticky church. I mean, um, like what does a vision for a kind of participation here where uh, you're just bought in and when we have worship and prayer, you go, of course, I want to be there. And when we have member meetings, you go, of course, that's significant. Like we want, uh, you know, a, a, a vested kind of body of believers. And so in some sense, we mean belonging to everything. But what I'll primarily spend my time talking about this morning is really how we get smaller. Um, as a church. We know that we're big enough as a church that in order to do really meaningful discipleship, we have to get smaller. Uh, And historically, we've done that through small groups. And so I want to spend the most of my time this morning talking about that very thing. But um, I need to read our passage. It's the passage that, uh, that Cassie already read over us. And this is from John 13. And again, John 13, you can turn there in your Bible if you'd like, verses 34 and 35. Let me read it again. Um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, I don't know if you caught the uh, reunion of the episode of the show Friends on HBO. Don't know if you caught that. I caught it. And uh, I was fascinated by it, fascinated for a number of reasons. One, because um, 20 years later, you know, they brought the six main characters together. And what we learned, uh, even if you don't like that show, even if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, it was streamed a hundred billion times, has been streamed, Friends has. So we're going to go ahead and chalk that up to culturally significant, Right. Um, and it's a show that marked and has marked, continues to mark many of our lives. And when you kind of look at social commentaries around the show, you'll find a couple things. One, that people kind of like judge their friend groups like by the main characters in the show. You're like, well, you're kind of like Monica, but you got a little bit of Phoebe in you. And, you know, I'm the Chandler, you're the Joey, whatever. But really the other thing, kind of the unspoken thing about Friends is the um, kind of the vicarious experience of the show. And what I mean to say by that is that a lot of people unwittingly actually put themselves in as the seventh character, right? Because you're, you're the silent character, but even the experience of thinking that you could have friends like this and that you could be one of these, that you could be a part of this kind of community, um, just obviously move the needle for 
billion, I mean, I, millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, I dare say, with the number of people who've taken the show in. And, um, you know, it's interesting because it kind of begs a question, like, is that kind of community in the heart of God for us as a church? And I believe what the scriptures show us is that the answer is a resounding yes. I think there's actually a more profound community for us. Um, but I do think that like when you kind of drill down at a heart level for us, um, one of the deepest longings that we have is imagining that we could be as loved as the characters seem to be with one another on that show. And so it's interesting for me today because I get to answer a question, a really important question for us, and that's um, why do we belong? Why are we called to belong specifically? And then more practically, how do we belong at Northway Church? And that's my uh, task for today. And I want to just acknowledge, um, you know, kind of something from the get-go. I want to recognize the opportunities for belonging amidst the vulnerabilities. And what do I mean to say by that? Um, I just want to, like, uh, I, want to, uh, I'm, I want to address the elephant in the room. Like, COVID has left us lonely and fractured. And we struggled with loneliness before COVID, but this has created... I think the most vulnerable moment in belonging that I have ever seen in my short ministry. And um, I just think there's a lot of needed vision for us as a church. Um, there's like the things that we need to say moving forward as we go onward and a renewed vision around community. But I also think there's a lot of dumb tax that you pay along the way that I certainly have paid. And so I want to share some of that as we think about a new vision for a new day. But I do know this, the experience of love in community is in the heart of God for us. And when we read the scriptures today, we'll see that scriptures describe, invite, and even command a similar kind of love within the church. So again, we'll talk about why we're called to belong and how we belong. And so let's start with the first question. Why are we called to belong? I think some of you know this, but if you don't, I just want to remind you that God has created us for him and for one another, right? So the desire to be loved and to love is hardwired into us by our creator, a God who is Trinitarian in his nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit says, let us make man in our own image. And then he makes a man. And after making the man, he says, it is not good that man shall be alone. And so he makes uh, a woman and a God who is community in essence, Trinitarian community creates a community himself. He creates a community, a man and a woman, and then he gives them a mandate. And that mandate is to go make little communities. Uh, little acorns, if you will, that turn into forests, like communities of communities of communities. And I don't want to get too graphic, but all of us here in this community project are a result of that mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And so to even look at a room of a bunch of people in community is to show and highlight what is in the heart of God, a Trinitarian God who loves to make us not only for himself, but for one another. That is very much in the heart of God. And then in this passage in particular, we see Jesus as really the exemplar, our shepherd in community. What do I mean by that? Um, I mean to say a couple things. One, think about the context. He's talking to his 12 disciples. He's intimately engaged to a small group of people. And the creator and the purest embodiment of love, whoever lived, verse 34 says, is I have loved you and shown you how to love perfectly. 
You now go and do that with one another horizontally. You are to love one another. And without, um, or maybe at risk at getting too ethereal about love, I'm grateful for how theologians have really distilled that love is not uh, so abstract in the New Testament to not have a tangible form. And we see that tangible form with 59 one another's in the New Testament that gives shape to how we actually love each other. A few examples of that are how we honor one another above yourselves, Romans 12, Romans 12. How you live in harmony with one another, Romans 12. How you love one another, Romans 13. How you accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you, Romans 15. And really, I think that what Jesus is saying here in verse 34 is that we love for two distinct outcomes. And the first outcome is that it will show that we are actually his disciples, that the love that you have amongst brothers and sisters is a mutually edifying love. And what you have is love itself as a currency and community as a context for how we actually grow and show our allegiance to Christ. Like this is really profound. What Jesus is saying is the way that you love one another in community actually shows the kind of disciple you are. It's a proving ground, if you will, which is really significant that God created our discipleship in a context of formation with other people. But the second thing is equally important, and that is that it shows the beauty of Christ to our friends and to our neighbors, that the love that we have among each other is actually a compelling witness and an apologetic to what love is to the outside world. And so why are we called to belong because God has created us for him and for one another. And I believe that's very clear in the scriptures. But how do we belong? The second question, okay, all right. Well, now we're getting, uh, these, these are more difficult waters. You know why? Introduce the human element, right? Uh, he loves perfectly and we don't love perfectly. There's the breakdown. Sermon over, see you later. Josh, come lead worship. How do we belong? Well, Historically, at Northway Church, we, in the Village Church Dallas, we have valued groups of people. Uh, the old guard would call them home groups a couple years ago. We rebranded into gospel communities. And what these ministries are, we put a lot of attention into them, is that this is the primary ministry where we can belong to one another for the long haul. And that's significant, for the long haul, like groups that endure seasons of life together. And really what we try to do is we try to come around four values, like what makes a gospel community? What is community at Northway Church supposed to look like? And we've tried to give four values that try to uh, that try to, to to give shape and definition to this. And those four values are prayer, fellowship, uh, C3, and evangelistic hospitality. And why do these four things matter? Why does prayer matter? Prayer matters because I'm telling you, it is a lifeline to God to be able to bring your needs not only to him, but to people you trust when you need them. I think Brett just prophetically read James 5. I didn't know he was going to read that, but James 5 says, is anybody suffering among you? Let him pray. And I can tell you as one who lacks courage in my life and who struggles with pride, as much as I have benefited from wonderful books, as much as I have benefited from wonderful counseling, and as much as those things are important, I can't tell you when I look at the kind of arc at my life that when I became humble enough to ask people to pray for me, to really pray for me, how much healing I experienced in asking that. 
And so our communities have to be founded on prayer, and they're also founded on fellowship. This is where we break bread and we enjoy the good life of the gospel together. This is where we experience the highs and lows of life because we have them both. This is where we talk about goals and career and job changes and who I'm dating and who I'm not dating and uh, the uh, expansion of the SEC to include Texas and Oklahoma and the Dallas Mexican food scene and everything under the sun. This is where we practice the good life of the gospel together. We fellowship as citizens, as human beings living together in a context. And so we have prayer and we have fellowship and then we have C3. And you go, what in the world is that? Is that in the Bible? Well, not, maybe, yes, hopefully. C3 is where we attempt to communicate honestly, to care, and then to contend for one another. That we try to answer the question, Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper with a resounding yes, I am. I am. And so what we believe in the, again, James 5, like, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is where we get to say, guys, I need you to help me. I need you to contend for me. I need you to pray for me and ask me questions and hope that I do the same for you. And then the last thing is evangelistic hospitality, where we say we seek to open our lives to outsiders to give them a safe and welcoming space and convey our greatest joy to them. And it ties back to John 13, because there's something that should be compelling about the way that we love one another to the outside world. And these are the four values that make up our gospel communities. And I know you may be asking in a question, and I want to answer that question. And the question is, are you saying that gospel communities are the only place to be discipled at Northway? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's not what I'm saying. We have women's Bible class and men's Bible class and gospel care in a number of places where very meaningful discipleship happens. But we would differentiate to say where those things start and stop Gospel communities are actually created to endure over the long haul. They're the diesel engine of the church, if you will, and that's why they're important for us. Okay, so let me answer a question, and that question is this. What makes community hard anywhere? Because I want to answer that question. Again, if the breakdown is that we don't love one another the way Christ loves us, then that means there is the introduction of sin into the equation, and we're not the only place that struggles with sin. And so the things I'm about to say, these are universal struggles. A struggle here, a struggle in the Midwest, a struggle in the 1400s, a struggle in uh, a village in Africa. But there are things that get in the way of meaningful community. And what are those things, okay? So let's go back to the text. He loves us perfectly. We don't love each other perfectly. What does that mean? Something's getting in the way. What is getting in the way? Us. We are getting in the way usually. Like what is happening is that pride man manifests as a love of self or a kind of self-rule. And when that happens, we cannot love one another. And then you'll see some certain manifestations of that. And some of those manifestations that we see here, especially, are things like preference, where you just go, hey, listen, at the end of the day, I prefer my time, my way, my plan, my outcomes. And here's the reality. As Christians, we're called to outdo one another in honor. And you cannot outdo somebody in honor when you are so given to your preferences. And so our preferences can be an inhibition. 
Our priorities can also be an inhibition. What do I, I mean, like, and at the end of the day, sometimes we just struggle with what Jesus says in Matthew 6, that where our hearts are, there our treasure is, and our reality is that some of us, our hearts just simply aren't in for being discipled in community. We just don't want it as much as we want other things. And um, that's a challenge that we face. Um, and that's a challenge, like, I, yeah, I'll, I'll keep going. Um, Audrey Assad writes, um, I uh, wrote a song several years ago, and one of the lyrics is beautiful. And she says, um, God, deliver me from a fear of humility. And that was new for me. I'm like, a fear of humility. And then I put the pieces together and I was like, here, that's right. You've called me as a follower of Christ to actually be humble. And so what gets in the way of me being humble is risk, is a failure to risk. It's a failure to say, like, what if I put myself out there and get rejected? Like, what if, what if, what if, like, like in my fear of humility, I actually fear being humble enough to acknowledge my sins to other people. In my fear of being vulnerable, I just know that you need to know me, and I just am too fearful to risk that. I'm too fearful because I, I want to project a certain way. I want to project a certain kind of truth that I'm not presently. And so there's a gap between my real and my shadow self. And I think what Jesus is saying is that the reason that he loved us perfectly is those gaps didn't exist. And the reason that we don't is because the gaps do. And again, I'm, I want to be really careful on this, guys, because some of you have longed for community, and these last couple years have been especially hard. And so I'm not going on a sin hunt for every person in this room to make you feel like you've done something. Some of you have tried, and it's just for whatever reason been really challenging for some things that you can control and some things you can't control. But where love of self has manifested, these things are universally true. And um, at the end of the day, here's what I know. The arc of our life as believers, we don't drift towards love of God. We drift towards love of self. And so that's why community is so important, because the people around us can actually point us to a true north. And so these are the challenges everywhere. But what about the challenges here? What about the challenges at Northway? And this is where I want to just get real with some observations, okay? Because discipleship is the universal call, but the context of discipleship matters. Meaning, if you were planting a church in Manhattan, you would expect to have a number of young, busy people in your church. If you're planting a church like in the deep burbs of the Metroplex, like, you know, the Red River in your backyard, like way north, you know what I'm saying? You would expect to have a church full of young families with young kids, right? That's just normal. That's baseline. And at Northway, we have contextual realities here. We're actually a lot more like Manhattan. And so um, Dana and I have been members here for 12 years, and uh, I've been on staff 11 years. And most of my time on staff, I've given some kind of leadership or had some kind of eye to groups, to life at groups. And so um, these are just some observations that she and I have had about life at Northway, contextual realities that I think 
are important, hopefully, for us to hear, right? And in doing this, again, I want to give some vision because like anything else, you learn a lot about what works and then you learn a lot about what doesn't work and you see some wonderful success and you do pay some dumb tax along the way. So here are some observations that I believe, that we believe shape discipleship at Northway. You ready for them? Here we go. Hopefully these help. Dallas is transient, therefore Northway is transient. Um, So there are a lot of people who are going to spend some time here in Dallas for a few years before they move back home or they move to the burbs. That's okay. That's our reality. That is a Northway reality. Um, It it just means that life in the city is going to be a little bit more fluid. Um, To say it another way, Dana and I in 12 years have told a lot of people goodbye. We just tell a lot of people goodbye. And that's okay but pray that my heart doesn't get too calloused, okay? Uh, because it's hard to tell people goodbye. But that's our reality. Dallas is transient, therefore Northway is transient. Here's the second thing. Local living is a great idea that sometimes doesn't work. Like this vision of being all together in this one place in a kind of encapsulated place with all the things that you value. Sometimes you're not like, guys, Dallas is expensive, Amen. Amen. The secret's out. It's wild. The city that I grew up in was largely affordable everywhere for a lot of people. And now it's like, oh, cool. You want an acre in like Pilot Point? It's $5 million. I mean, it's nuts. The secret is out. The ninth largest city in the United States continues to boom. And many of y'all would love to live closer to Northway. Many of y'all would love to be invested around here. And you just aren't. And that's okay. That's nothing to be ashamed of. You, 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 you live where you live. You live where you live. And, and, and you have what the Lord's given you. And that kind of leads to my third point. Northway is and has always been more of a regional church. There you go. I said it. It's true. Like the idea that we would live, that we would be a local church with the majority of us living in the shadow of our steeple has given way to the reality that most people who come to Northway drive anywhere from two to 30 minutes to get here. We've always kind of been a regional church. Now, let me give you a little qualifier, okay? If you're driving past the Magnolia silos and Waco to come to church here, can you find me after the, the service? Because I'd love to point you to some good churches in Central Texas, okay? But for the most part, like... We just embrace our regionality and we embrace our regionality with this kind of fixed North thing for us. The heart of our church and our ministries reside in Northwest Dallas. And if you live around Northwest Dallas, like many of you do, it is a wonderful place to be. And there is a special privilege of living so close to where so much of our ministry happens. But if you're driving in and you're feeling some kind of weird shame about that, you are so welcome at Northway. And as much as we have hoped and maybe even in some millennial idealism and angst to be a little bit more local, we've always been a regional church. As long as as we've existed, we've always been a regional church. And then the last thing is that Northway is not an evenly distributed multi-generational church. Uh, We're pear-shaped we're young, we're heavy at the bottom, okay? Like, it's been, it's been 11 years, and like, as we, we do get older, 
by the day, praise God. Um, and we do have a growing group of people in that kind of middle age range. We do. It's awesome. But if you walked in the doors 11 years ago, you'd be seeing something similar to what you do now. We're still mostly young. We're not a evenly distributed multi-generational church. We would love to be. Invite your old friends and your parents and your old neighbors who tithe. And, um, uh, but we, sorry, that's not in my notes, sorry. But we're mostly young. We're mostly young. And that means that our strategy for downline discipleship, we have to be, uh, we have to be strategic uh, because you're not going to walk into a group. You're not going to like want, look for a multi-generational community and probably find a group of a bunch of people in their 40s and 50s waiting for the 120-something. That's just not the way it breaks down. Like our groups look in miniature like this group does in mass. Um, and that's our church, and we love it. That's our reality, and we're getting older, and that's great. So those are some observations. And now I want to kind of look at our historic playbook, like the historic messaging around groups, and I want to talk a little bit about it. Because again, if you've spent any time here, you will have uh, picked up on this. We are a group-centric church. We're all in, very vested in groups. Not the only thing we're doing, but a big thing that we're doing. And the messaging for a long time, as long as I've been around, is get in a group. And we would have historically single groups and then multi-generational groups. And remember, multi-gen didn't mean it had a ton of older people. It just mean it had an opportunity for single and married. Um, and, uh, and so get in a group, get in a group, get in a group. And if you're old, which at one point in time meant like north of 27, lead a group, like lead a group. Now it's like north of 30, but lead a group, okay? And, uh, and we would say, please lead. And then we would say, we have so many people looking to get into a group. So come to Group Connect and add people and add people and add people and focus on your neighborhood and add people and add people and add people and add people. And that has kind of been our historic messaging. We've taken our foot off the gas a little bit, but that vestige is still very much in the culture of groups where it's like, hey, add, 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 right? Because we have so many things. And looking kind of back at the last 10 years, there have been some really wonderful things that have come out of group life. Like really, really wonderful things. Like I'm telling you, like love for one another, the way that Christ is talking about in this passage, has forged some very profound discipleship, very wonderful friendships at Northway Church. I mean, guys, we have seen... We have seen profound healing from sin. We have seen lives transformed. We've seen deep friendships. We've seen marriages. We've seen singles meet each other. We've seen lifelong mentors established. We've seen leadership pipelines emerge. Like we have, we have missionaries who started, a, a, a couple who was up here just last week, who started as a home group in South Dallas. We have a, a family, Clint and Andy Patronella, who are church planting in their sixth year in Waltham, Massachusetts, that started as a home group. Like the Lord has done some wonderful stuff through group life here, but there's also been some cost. There's also been some lessons learned, some dumb tax. And some of that is, uh, again, our first challenge, I believe, is the COVID disruption. It has just left us lonely and fragmented. Uh, it really has. And uh, if you're feeling that, then I can promise you, you're not alone in feeling that. And then there's also the, um, 
just the kind of the challenge of burnout, right? Because if we had a leader, we asked them just to give and to give and to give. And uh, especially if they were older, like if you came in and you were like 45, it was like, all right, we got a bunch of 20 somethings waiting for you. Will you just give, 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 give. And they did and they have. And it's led to some burnout and it's led to some recognition that, um, you know, like people need people. And I'll get to that more here in a second. It also led to some groups going what we like to say charitably, endearingly, like rogue groups, like where groups were like, hey, we get the vision. We get all you're doing. We love you, but we're just going to kind of do our thing. Okay, we're going to do our thing. We're going to try to forge community here. And as you look at that over time, even kind of where the wisdom of these rogue group, what they were doing is like, you take Josh Duncan for an example, our worship minister. Josh leads at such a high level here. And the reason I believe Josh leads is because he's part of a group where when he walks into a tight-knit group of people, there are women and there are men in the group where they can ask Josh, Josh, how you doing? And he can go, I'm good. And they can go, no, you're not. You're lying. What's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm more compelled than I've ever been that we need that kind of community at Northway Church. That if you want me to be the best for you, that I need people in my life in a very covenanted kind of way who can do the same for me and me for them. And so the rogue groups actually taught us that the, the constant press to add people came with a cost. And, um, and we've recognized a few things, recognized a few things. What have we learned? Okay, moving on. What have we learned? Okay. We've learned this first, that smaller, more intimate small groups are more than okay. That constantly adding new people can come with a cost. People value intimate relationship with their people. It is a good thing to be able to walk into a room of people that you trust. And our value of constantly adding people to groups at times, not always, but sometimes disrupted the value of intimate relationships like Jesus is actually modeling in this passage. And that's what's fascinating. When you dig into this passage, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to 12 people. Um, Jesus knew and he modeled for us that relational investment into a closed group of people was actually a value. And if you think about that, it's fascinating because he's one of the most popular people in human history. There were literally thousands of people, especially at this point, clamoring for his time. And yet he does a very counterintuitive thing by not giving his attention to all of them, but by investing himself in a handful of people. It was very counterintuitive and, if you will, exclusive. But it was the model of Jesus to invest himself relationally into a handful of people. And so our takeaway is that smaller, quote-unquote, closed groups are okay as long as they're not closed to the world, as long as they're not closed to your neighbors, as long as what you guys have is not so contained that you can't share it with the people who actually need the gospel. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is that in addition to single and multi-generational groups, we also value life stage gospel communities. So there are these patterns that you pick up on, not rules, but patterns. And the patterns go like this. Singles often love hanging out and doing life with singles. But sometimes those singles, they get married and they have kids and they come to realize how much they long for life stage relationship, how much moms love to be in community with other moms who are raising kids together. 
And then you realize, again, some of like the older folks I was talking about who have just come in and have just led and led and led, sometimes empty nesters, is they, they love to be relationally in a, in a life stage with other people. And, like, and, and again, so like, what am I trying to say? Like, I, I'm trying to say that we're grateful to see an evolution of life stage opportunity amidst a strong example and opportunity for a single in a multi-generational group. Because there still are older folks in our midst who are like, you will not take me away from this multi-generational group. This is my heart. This is my passion. I have friendships elsewhere. And you can take this from me when you pry it from my dead cold fingers. Okay? You're not, and so what we are trying to do is say amidst solid examples of single and multi-gen, we also dignify life stage. We dignify that as an example. And then some of you might be going, okay, Matt, I'm with you, but doesn't that kind of lead towards insular groups? Are you, are you taking a step towards uh, an insular community where people are only focusing on belonging and not serving? That's a great question. And our answer to that is we certainly hope not. And the reason why that is, and I'll cheat ahead a little bit, Jonathan's going to speak next Sunday on service is our fourth value, that what we're saying is that amidst a value to belong, we also have a call to serve. And if we are only belonging without serving through the ministries of the church, then we would say there's a deficiency there. So it's not just a calling to belong, or it's not just a calling to serve, it's both. And some people will see this primarily in their multi-gen, but some people won't, and that's okay. That's okay. We're dignifying the option here. The last thing is this. Um, Proximity is great, but we shouldn't fall for proximity idealism at the cost of relationships. What do I mean by that? How much does local matter? It matters, but it doesn't matter as much as you think. So we have a pastor on staff who has middle school and high school kids primarily, and he lives in Carrollton. And he and his wife have chosen to really do life and to have a gospel community with two other couples uh, in a very similar season of life, middle school and high school kids. One of those families lives really close to the church. One of those families lives in Richardson. Um, Is that ideal? No, it's not ideal. Like they'd be the first to tell you what would be ideal is if we all lived really close and our kids all went to the same school and our lives kind of connected more. That would be more ideal. But is it worth it? You better believe it. You better believe that the relationship gift of that time and them driving 15 minutes or whatever and figuring out their schedules is worth it. So we have to be careful to not be so idealistic about local that it's getting in the way of significant relationship to be had. So that's the third thing. What does this mean for us practically? Okay, this is what it means. It means that if you are a member, we want you to belong in community at Northway. The pastors, the ministers, the men and women of that lead our church, we want to know that when, God forbid, the dark night of the soul happens, that you have people in your life and that we're not guessing who those people are and that you're not, we're not scrambling to try. Like, we want you to have your people. And again, what we know, what my experience is, is that we don't actually drift towards this. Like, we have to codify it and establish it as a value. We cannot, as leaders, just assume that you have relationship. Again, you do not drift towards love of others. We drift to love of self. And so we want to establish this. And here's what this means. If you're part of a gospel community that's working, then stay in it. 
My goodness, good, wonderful. So many of us are. Stay in it, okay? And if you don't have community right now, something that we, we desperately want as a church for all of us, then let's work towards it in two ways. Um, and I think this kind of breaks down as your initiative and then our initiative. What is your initiative? Your initiative, and again, if you're vested here, if you're, I'm speaking to members and those who want to become members, then you, by all means, lean into any and every relationship that you have. I want to implore you to have the courage to go to a group of people who you love and trust and say, hey, would you guys like to be a gospel community? Would you like to share your, would you like for us to share our lives with one another? Like we, we want you to feel empowered to do that. And we don't want you to rush into it. We want you to pray, think long and hard. We're in no fast hurry here, but we want to like consider what the relationships that exist within the church look like to dignify forming gospel communities together. And you're, you're so free. We, we don't have to place everybody. That's not, um, that's not what we have to do as a church. But So that's your initiative. But then there's our initiative, and that's what we want to do well. And our initiative is that if you don't have any relationship like that, that's okay. You're not the only person in that boat. Like that's not, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And we want to invite you to Group Connect on uh, September 12th at 1.30. It'll be the first of three times, uh, three Sundays in a row, where we want to do everything we can to try to uh, formulate some of those opportunities for you. And so that's our initiative. Um, and then lastly, let me just speak about our vision, try to answer some questions. So Matt, are you saying that you want every member of Northway in a gospel community? Yes, we do. We want every member of Northway to have community in their life for the long haul. Why would we not want that? And that's not to say that you don't have meaningful relationships from people at other churches. My goodness, if that were true, I would be in a horrible place. But we're talking about we want us to grow and build towards meaningful relationships here. And so our goal with grace and patience is that every member of Northway has a group with whom they're able to experience John 13 because it's extraordinarily clear that it's for our benefit to have this, that God's created us for community. And then here's another thing that we've learned. We equip the values, not the programming. We've spent too much time on the programming. Like, well, you know, do this on this night of the week and this and, they, and that's not, we're, we're, we're kind of, we're kind of moving on. It's not that we don't have some best practices, but what we are trying to do as a church is we're trying to equip the values and we trust you to implement that in your own space and time. Dana and I have a almost 11-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. And so we're just in a wild season of life. And I'm telling you, I just don't think we have an opportunity to weekly commit to something. It would just be too tough for us to go every Thursday. We have, there's just too much getting in the way. So what that can look like for me and my people is to go, okay, we're in this kind of season of life. So let's look at October. Let's look at this week. Is everybody here in October? Is everybody here on this weekend? Then let's look at what a long Saturday looks like at so-and-so's house. And then let's try to get, let's try to make sure that the ladies have a time to meet and the guys have a time to meet. My point is that we trust you to implement the values in your own season. Like you guys can figure that out far better than we ever can. It's wise for us to focus on the values and not the programming. We want you to work them out. It was interesting um, watching the friends um, 
reunion because what it showed me even more and more is that the friend's couch, as poignant as it was culturally, is still actually more of a mirage. Uh, 20 years later, those six, as their real person and not their character, have drifted further and further apart from each other, and they acknowledge that. And what you also see that what was being projected to be true from Manhattan was actually filmed in a soundstage in Burbank. Guys, community is forged a lot more than it's found. It's just like marriage. It's what you give, not what you get. And if you come to the table expecting to get something with a bunch of people that are trying to get something, I'll already write the implosion story for you. It's not going to make Do you see what our Savior said? If you love one another the way I have loved you, what he's saying is that gospel community in the church is the product of you coming to the table to give. I'm coming to give, and hopefully if that person is coming to give, then the Lord can forge something significant and profound, and I've seen it, and it's beautiful. But it's what you bring, it's the love you have, it's the love you give, not primarily what you seek to get from it. That's the kind of community that we long to forge. And so I want us to consider where self-love is robbing us of God's design for our discipleship and to fight the challenges of Northway to forge something special because it's entirely possible. Um, at the youth camp, we sent some kids to uh, you know youth camp this summer and um, there were, uh, to my knowledge, three or four of the kids who would just say, um, I would not affirm that I'm a Christian. Um, and I think a, a handful of them actually said, I'm an atheist. And so they went to the camp and they left. And to my knowledge, none of them came to faith. But what was spoken about their experience is that they had to grapple with the fact that they were loved by the kids and they were loved by their counselors, that they saw the love of Christ on display. And that was especially meaningful for us to hear. We have something profound to give away May the people around us say that we cannot deny that we were loved by those people. And in a world increasingly averse to the gospel, our love is the most compelling currency that we possess. Remember the love that our Savior, our shepherd has given to us and do your best to give that love away to groups of people moving forward where we can grow as disciples. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. And we ask that you would do a work here among us. Lord, we know this is a trying season, and we know you bear our burdens better than we ever can. And so, Lord, may we feel no shame about where we are, but I pray for a renewed courage by the Holy Spirit to step into these spaces and that we would be faithful to grow in community together. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.